It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome into our Monday edition of the Mason Brew Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Broom. We're here recording on a Sunday night, heading into Monday and heading into a week where it's another big game week for Michigan. They will take on number 14, Iowa, this Saturday at the Big House. They are seven-point favorites, which was a little bit surprising to me. I didn't. I figured they would be favored, but I wasn't sure by how much. I thought maybe it'd be two and a half, three and a half, maybe four and a half, but... Uh, Vegas likes you right now by a touchdown, which, I mean, again, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But uh, right now, I mean, you can make the case that Iowa has a better body of work than you do overall. But, you know, it's what have you done for me lately? Michigan played a really thorough and clean game against Rutgers on Saturday. We talked about the immediate takeaways from that. You can go back and listen to our post-game reaction podcast there. But we're going to do things a little bit differently here on Monday. And I know the last few Mondays have either been delayed shows or shows that didn't happen at all due to tech issues. Uh, because of that, I'm giving this show to you, the people, the fans. I took to Twitter. I asked, what are some of your biggest questions about Michigan heading into this weekend's game against Iowa at the Big House? And I've got about uh, 13, 14, about 15 of them here that I think I'm going to address. And we'll see how much time allows for. I don't want this to turn into an hour-long podcast of me just talking because... You'll turn it off. The data shows that. So uh, we'll get through some of the best ones here. We're just going to hop right into it because we've talked about the Rutgers game already. You heard what our post-game reactions are. So we're just going to get into the questions here. So thanks to everyone on Twitter who sent these in. Uh, We're going to get started. 
So this one is from GT. It says, even though it was Rutgers, how important do you think a win like that on Saturday can sway the confidence level of the players? Can it change the outlook of the season? I'll answer the first one first. I think that a lot of people in our written content all week as we go through watching the film and giving takeaways and some of our opinions of the game, people will keep reminding us, guys, it was Rutgers. Guys, it was Rutgers. It doesn't matter. It was Rutgers. Fine. I get it. But coming off of that Wisconsin game, I think this was a Michigan team that you were going to see one of two things this past weekend. They would win 35-14 or something and just kind of get in and get out of there and go through the motions. Or they were going to put a good week of practice in. They were going to show some fight. They were going to play a clean football game and blow the barn doors off of, quite frankly, probably the worst team in the Power Five. I mean, that was such a bad performance by Rutgers that uh, their coach lost his job for it. Now they're going to restart. and Who knows? It'll probably be Greg Schiano again, which, hey, uh, more power to you. But... So how important was it? I think it was important that this team has a little bit of fire. It has some resolve. It heard, you know, these kids are on social media. They know what was being said about them all week. To come out and play clean football for four quarters, uh, there was really not a lot of miscues on the day. Any of them, if, you know, if you find anything in that game that you're really upset about, I think you're just looking for something to be upset about. Uh, but overall, I mean, I think that uh, how important was it? It's important to get a win, but I think it was important to see what the result, the fruits of your labor are from a, from a good week of practice. And, and that's, you know, clearly there was some kind of disconnect there in those first couple games. But uh, whatever they did Saturday, not to say this is the start of something special or anything, but um, it was definitely a step in the right direction. Does it change the outlook of the season? I'm not going that far. I think that... You know, I think you need to win this Saturday against Iowa. I think you need to take care of Illinois on the road. And I think you need to win at Penn State before we start talking about what the outlook of the rest of this season is because it does not get any easier from here. So uh, thank you for the question, GT. This next one comes in from Jonathan Fisher at Father Fish. He says, can Michigan's offense be anywhere as efficient against Iowa as it was versus Rutgers? Well, here's the thing about Michigan's offense. I think that, first of all, you can just burn the tape from the Wisconsin game. There's absolutely nothing to glean or take away from that other than the effort was piss poor on every side of the football. I think with what we've seen with Michigan's offense up until this Rutgers game is that most of their issues were self-inflicted wounds, the fumbles on the first drive of the game. Um, you know, fast. We saw how important a fast start was, and I think that fast starts will continue to be important for this team because I think that's this team pretty clearly needs to have a has a tone set for it early on. If they don't play well early on, it might drag out into the rest of the game, or at least that's what the tape says will happen. When they get off to a hot start, they blow the barn doors off of you. Again, small sample size. It's just Rutgers, but. Um, you know, when I look at, can it be as efficient? Sure, it can. Um, you know, I think that for as much flack as the running game is getting right now, I think how their offense is set up, it's kind of good enough for the time being. I think it needs to get better. They need to add some wrinkles there. Um, but I think that it really comes down to, and I know there's a few questions in here about how they match up in the trenches with Iowa and things like that, but that 
that game is going to come down to, are you going to get pushed around in the trenches on both sides of the football? It's an offensive line that, you know, on the ground in the run game hasn't really been able to impose its will. The pass blocking against Wisconsin wasn't very good at all. Uh, and the defensive line, we'll talk about them soon. Um, it's a totally different topic here. But um, you know, I think when you ask about what, they look, what they'll look like against Iowa, can the offense be as effective? I think a lot of that has to do with, are they going to be physically up to the challenge? Um, I think this is a Harbaugh quote or something he said before. It's like, you know, how do you respond when you taste the blood in your mouth? Uh, are you going to fold or are you going to keep fighting? And, and so far, you know, at least going by that Wisconsin game, we saw a team that folded. So I really do think when, we, when grading out the offense, uh, when, when kind of projecting what the offense could be against Iowa, it starts with just being physically ready to roll. All right, so our next question here is from at Chadwick5783. What did Josh Gaddis do to simplify the offense for Shea against Rutgers, and what can we expect to see him build on against Iowa? Um, well, I'll put it this way. I think that the offense – I don't think the offense was simplified. I, I think that they came out knowing what they wanted to be. They wanted to be relatively balanced, but this team is going to go as its passing game goes. And I think that something to build off of from what we saw from Shea Patterson – now, let, let's get this straight – Like. A lot of the day, he's basically throwing against air, against Rutgers, period. I mean, that's it's it's just a bad football team. Um, but I think, again, it, for him, it was important to see. It's like a shooter that's in a cold streak. Sometimes you just need to see that ball go through the basket to kind of get your confidence back. And, you know, we saw when Shea Patterson is able to play well and you know get the ball out quickly, the reads were – it seemed like the reads were better. Uh, the ball was coming out a little more quickly. Um, the zip was back on a lot of his throws. Mm, you know, the accuracy was, was there. Um, yeah, I think there was a good showing and something you needed to see from him. You know, there's, there's definitely a timeline where we've seen it before. Michigan's quarterback struggles against Rutgers, and a young guy comes in and, you know, takes the job away from him. We saw it with John O'Cornerbrain and Peters a few years ago. Um, you know, Joe Milton, not that that opportunity was quite there for him. But at the same time, like if Shea Patterson didn't play well, it was going to be time to start making a decision about what you do at the quarterback position. So, um, you know, simplified. I mean, the simplified part of it was that you didn't put the ball on the ground. Uh, I know he had a, an interception, but when you look at what Shea Pat, like when you look at the type of turnover that that was, that's being aggressive and pushing the ball down the field and going, you know, Anytime you have Nico Collins in single coverage, I'm sorry. Like I'm, I'm making that play ten times out of ten. If it gets picked off one of the times, so be it. It's basically an arm punt. So, um, yeah, I think that something to build off of is that he's really comfortable. It, it just seems like throwing on the run is something he does really well. Um, so getting him out of the pocket, I think that might be something to build off of moving forward, especially if that offensive line fails to hold up against some of the more physical teams. So. I think that's something that you can you can definitely build off of from that performance. So uh, overall, pretty good showing from Shea Patterson. Uh, next question here from Adam Sisti. It kind of goes back to uh, Josh Gaddis. How much of an impact did it have on the offense to have Josh Gaddis down on the sideline? Yeah, um, I. It's hard to tell what it the type of impact it had on the offense, but I'll say this: like the the play calling was pretty crisp. The execution was decisive, and this is a guy who, you know, the players have him down 
on the field with them during practice all week. And he's a very, if you've watched Josh Gaddis at all, or obviously if anyone paid attention to him on Saturday, that's a high energy guy. That's a young guy um, that Michigan has there to kind of lead this offense. And I think when you stick that guy up in the box, and, and I don't know, it just seemed like he was so comfortable with that. I don't know why he was ever up in the box. So, uh, but I would expect him to be down there moving forward. I think the energy was palpable on the field. I think you, you know, showing the fire that you want to see from uh, from your coach, firing up his guys, kind of being there to put your arm around his shoulder instead of, you know, over a headset or a phone. Um, yeah, I, I think that I think that that's pretty important. That goes into the, another question we got here from um, at X Proof X. Will Gaddis remain on the sideline the rest of the season? He seems to have an in-game sideline energy that Harbaugh is lacking on his own. Listen, I'm not going to dog Harbaugh for a quote-unquote lack of energy. I mean, I think something that's really apparent to me is that when you watch Josh Gaddis operate on the field on Saturday, this is his offense. And Jim Harbaugh is kind of just standing back in the you know the background and letting him do his thing. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for Jim Harbaugh to be more of a CEO, more of a guy who rallies his own troops as opposed to rallying the players. You know, I think that he's going to be as successful as his assistants are. And, um, you know, being a head coach, being a coach of a football team, is kind of about putting your staff and your players in the best position to succeed. And I think that, listen, I mean, I'm not saying this is the thing that turns their season around, but having Josh Gaddis down on the field puts him in the best position to be the best coach he can for Michigan. So, um yeah, I think certainly I think that's something to build off moving forward. Next question here comes from Trevor McHugh. He says, young guys made plays in this game. Have they earned more playing time? Will we see more of Dax Hill, Cam McGrone, Eric All? Chris Hinton and Mozzie Smith got in very late. Could they see more plays in rotation with the interior defensive line struggling? So yeah, I think with, with the young guys, um, I'm at a point with a lot of them, and Eric All, you know, I think he's got a nice little role for him. Uh, as it pertains to the defense, I want to stick with that side of the ball. Dax Hill, Cam, Cam McGrone, what we've seen out of them, I think that you can make the case at any given time they might be two of your best 11 defensive players. So I'm willing to kind of work with any growing pains they might have on the field now. Because I think the upside of what they can get out of that is is pretty pretty important. So yeah, I'd like to see more of them. It seems like they're earning that opportunity. Um, Chris Hinton and Mozzie Smith, I, you know, with that defensive line, and we have a defensive line question coming up. Um, I really would like to see those guys play more. But if they're not ready yet, you can't just throw guys out there. But you know, they're true freshmen, so. Um, it's tough. I mean that this defensive, the interior of this defensive line. I think it's really understated how much they miss a guy like Aubrey Solomon, which for whatever reason decided that he didn't want to be at Michigan anymore. Um, you know, I think a guy like that would be a potential star in this defense right now. But you know, you've got a you've got Carlo Kemp, uh, who is fine. He's played he's played well, not not great, not terrible. Um, but not a lot next to him. I don't, you know, Ben Mason in a rotation is fine, but you know, I don't like a converted fullback getting a ton of run at defensive tackle. But, you know, if those guys are ready to play, they need to get in there. So um, just got to keep coaching them up and, and hoping that they get on the field at some point. 
So before we keep going, we still have a decent amount of questions here. We're going to take a quick break. So we'll be back here just after a couple commercials here on the Native Brew Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back here on the Maze and Brew podcast, our Monday edition. I'm Anthony Broom. Answering questions from Twitter. Uh, some of your biggest questions heading into the Iowa game. So we'll hop right into it here. We still have quite a bit to cover. Uh, this is from our friends over at Hoover Street Rag. This is a good question and one that I think is important to address here. I'll spend a little bit of time on it. Why are people frustrated with the number of Ronnie Bell targets when six of his catches, when all six of his catches were for first downs on Saturday? Yeah, you know, I think what we've seen out of Ronnie Bell, he had a first, you know, a, a first week that was kind of rough. Uh, but since then, he's become a, fa- a favorite of Shea Patterson and someone who's been kind of a, consi- a consistent little security blanket over the middle of the field, which I don't hate at all. Uh, but I think that people are frustrated because because of the talent that you have at wide receiver uh, with Nico Collins, with Donovan Peoples-Jones, with Tariq Black. Um I know people want to see those targets spread around and they want to see each of those guys targeted, you know, eight, nine, ten guys, ten times a game a piece. I don't think that's realistic. Um, you know, I think the thing is right now, there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen at wide receiver. And, you know, Nico Collins, DPJ, Tariq Black, they're terrific players. Uh, I think that people are frustrated that Michigan's not going, just going three wide and chucking it down the field every play. Um, you know, I think I'd like to see some more of like the quick slants with some of those guys. Uh, definitely, like I said before, would, would like to see more of the shots down the field to Nico Collins. Uh, but Ronnie Bell, I mean, he's been – he's someone that Shea Patterson is incredibly comfortable with. And, you know, they, he's going to keep going to him. And if he's open, um, they're going to get him the football. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand the, the hatred or the contempt for Ronnie Bell. Um, you know, it's not as simple as, you know, you don't know necessarily what the options are in a given play. Um, you know, it's not as simple as, hey, we're going to call this play in the huddle. This ball's going to Donovan Peoples-Jones or Nico Collins no matter what. Um, you kind of have to take what the defense gives them. And what they're giving them right now is a lot of Ronnie Bell over the middle of the field because teams know how good those three wideouts are. So, you know, how do you how do you adjust for that? I, I don't know. I mean, I think that something I'd like to see more from this offense is you know they're getting there a little bit, but I want to see them build on this passing game and and utilize the talent they have. Does that mean maybe more four wide receiver sets? I, I think yeah, I'd like to see that a little bit more. 
especially if this run game is going to kind of be a little bit stagnant. Um, you know, short passes to a guy like Ronnie Bell can sort of offset, you know, the lack of explosive plays in the run game. So, um, yeah, that that's kind of where I'm at there. So, I'm fine with Ronnie Bell. Um, I think he's he's been pretty good, pretty solid throughout the year. I know everyone wants Shea Patterson, the Michigan wide receivers, to put up video game numbers, but um, you know this isn't the air raid. Uh, this isn't this. That's not quite where they're at right now. So um, I, I would expect that to kind of be unlocked as the year goes on. But where things stand, I, I don't. I don't understand kind of the contempt for Ronnie Bell. It's not his fault that he's the most targeted wide receiver on the team. So um, let's go to our next question here. This one's from Bam. Uh, Bam says, I'm curious as to how U of M matches up at the line of scrimmage versus Iowa, especially the Michigan defensive line versus the Iowa offensive line. Do you think Iowa's offensive line will have a big advantage over this D-line and run with success, or can the DL hold its own? Yeah, it's a big week for these guys. Um Right now, I tend to believe that Michigan's defensive line might get pushed around a little bit, especially on the interior. And that's a concern. And I think that they really do need to have a big week of practice. Um, I think, will Iowa have a big advantage? I don't know if it will have a big advantage, but, you know, it was uh, it was open mic night a few weeks ago when Don Brown said they were excited to get back to playing the Wisconsin in the Iowa's of the world because they, they that's what they're comfortable with that's what they know you know they know what they want to run there so um, he's gonna have to coach those guys up this week this is a big week for that the interior of the defensive line because um, if Iowa kind of cannibalizes you it does not bode well for Penn State it does not bode well for Notre Dame Michigan State Ohio State so um, I think. I think you need the defensive line to hold its own. Just hold your own this week. Don't get dominated. Um, that's kind of where I'm at there. Next question comes from our friend Brian Sikowski. Kind of piggybacking off the last question. Is there enough interior defensive line depth or ability to stand up to teams like Wisconsin or Iowa that want to run the ball inside? If not, what can be done to mitigate those issues? I think the potential for having depth is there. The problem is that the reinfor- you're waiting on your reinforcements to kind of catch up to the game speed of college football. I think really the, your only shot at offsetting that as is is if a Chris Hinton or Mozzie Smith come on late in the year. I don't like Ben Mason you know, being one of your top two defensive tackles. I don't know if this means maybe you, you know, maybe we try kicking uh, Quiddy Pay inside Maybe you know do some different things there. Uh, definitely don't want Jordan Glasgow playing defensive tackle against a you know a power power run team or like like what you'll see. Um, what can be done to mitigate it? I mean, maybe it's going to maybe it's this might be part of getting your best eleven on the field at any time. Maybe it's playing with three down linemen and getting an extra linebacker on the field. Like you know, because when Josh Ross comes back, what do you do with Cameron going? Excuse me, Cam McGrone. That one's been giving me problems all weekend. Um, yeah, I'd like to see those guys play together. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that when we start talking about how do you mitigate those issues, we talk about making adjustments. And I think that a Dom Brown defense <laughs> is going to kind of be what it is, and they're not going to make a ton of adjustments there. Um, and this goes into our next question here from 
Michigan's armchair QB. He asked, why can't we cover crossing routes and slants? And why hasn't the running game been explosive? Um, I'm going to answer the first question here. You're able to cover a crossing route when you play in a zone defense. Um, Michigan doesn't run a whole lot of zone. And another thing is that a lot of what you see is there's a lot of rub routes and pick plays that these teams have been running. And it's not something that gets called a whole lot at this level of football for whatever reason. So, I mean, the best the best way I can really describe how do you stop it is something that I'm not sure Don Brown is capable of doing right now, and that's dropping back and playing more zone. And maybe, you know, maybe they're just, you know, the old bit is, oh, maybe they're just baiting teams and saving it for Ohio State. I don't know about that. Um, you know, when, you're, when your defense is so geared towards, you know, getting pressure with your defensive line and you don't get pressure, um, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a problem. So, yeah, I don't know. If the crossing routes, uh, when Rutgers is burning you on them, I would think that that would be eye-opening enough to make some sort of adjustment because there are a lot better teams on your schedule that are going to look at the game tape and see that. Um, so, yeah, that, that is certainly certainly still a concern. Um, as far as how the running game goes, yeah, uh, this is where I think Michigan really misses Chris Evans because right now they don't really have a back that's capable of busting a huge play on his own. Um, you know, Zach Charbonnet is kind of on a pitch count right now because, I don't know, the knee is messed up. I, I, maybe they're just scared from running him 33 times like they did against Army. Uh, you know, you want to keep him fresh as well. But, you know, I think Christian Turner's got some decent a decent amount of bounce to him. And, and Charbonnet does too when he's healthy. But, you know, clearly, like, right now, this is still a very much a by-committee approach. And um, you, know, you don't have that guy who can pop a big run if a hole's not there. And that's where I think the offensive line has been a concern to me. Those guys haven't really been able to move bodies consistently. And I know that this is a new offense and that they have – some different responsibilities, but you know it's it's still concerning, especially when they, they're such a veteran group too. Um, so Ed Warner, you know, for as terrific as he was last year, I mean, he's going to have to really get these guys to flip a switch. And I think they are capable of flipping, but we just haven't seen it yet. Uh, piggybacking off that question, this one's from Folds 2008. Uh, why do we have to try to use three different running backs a game when it instead of being successful with one or two? I think it would be easier for the O-line to open holes for a singular back and get in tune with his tendencies rather than a constant cycle. Yeah, Folds, it doesn't really work like that in terms of an offensive line going, hey, you have a guy who's capable of uh, shifting his way into a hole here, so block it this way. Um, you know, you have, a, you have assignments on any given play. You're looking to wash out a particular person, um, get to the second level of a defense. Like You have, you don't just open up holes for a different running back it's not it's not like because there's a running back coming in with a different running style that changes the way you block a play no you're the goal to on any given play is to block it and give that back a lane to hold to 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 run through Um, and those lanes haven't been there consistently enough and in Michigan you know at times they haven't had the guys that that see it blocked either so um I think it's just a matter of just keep working just keep working at it um you know, I think that obviously Zach Charbonnet not being totally healthy hurts you a little bit, but um, you know, 
it's got to improve. Or Michigan's got, you know, this is the thing about the run game that I think is pretty apparent to me. Excuse me. I think that if Michigan, like Michigan's run game just has to be efficient in, you know, short yardage situations in certain scenarios to set up the passing game. Um, Whereas in years past, maybe you're passing to set up the run. Michigan's going to be as successful as that passing attack is. So um, you'd like to see a little bit more. I know people want to see them run for 200 yards a game and pass for 400 yards a game. That's that's not really realistic. Um, but yeah, 3.4 yards per carry against Rutgers is, is a little eye-opening. So I, I get the concern there. We have a few more here. Um, we'll go with this one here from... Uh, Pawan Kanchi, I hope I said that right, Pawan. Uh, what's our best starting 11? Surely it has to include Cam McGrone and Daxton Hill. Um, at linebacker for McGrone, probably yes. For Daxton Hill, I think that there's there's certainly there are certainly packages you can get him on the field. But remember, like Josh Metellus, that he's probably going to be playing on Sundays next year, or at least in a training camp. Brad Hawkins, a guy who's really come on, just keeps getting better back there. So those are your two safety spots. So that those guys are so steady. I know there's big playability or you know big upside for Dax Hill. Again, you can bring him in in nickel scenarios, and I think you might start seeing more of him there. But um, you know, is he a starter? I'm not. I'm not sure about that yet. Cam McGrone, yes. I, I think I can live with whatever I get out of him. Um, you know, even if you move Josh Ross over to the will and, and Jordan Glasgow doesn't play quite as much, um, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not dogging Jordan Glasgow. He had a little bit of a rough stretch in Saturday's game, but you know, I think that the, you need your best athletes on the field too. Jordan Glasgow's a good football player, but um, you know, I, I'd really like to see them make an effort to get those those athletic linebackers out on the field and playing together. So. Um, that's kind of where I stand on, on the, the defense and you know, maybe personnel changes that could be coming. So this is our last one here uh, that I'm going to answer before I close things out. And this one's from Kyle Walney. He says, how much of Joe Milton do we see this week against Iowa? His ceiling is so high, it's almost worth it. If Shea makes that throw to Giles Jackson, the DB has time to make up the lost ground and it's an incompletion. Guys, what we saw out of Joe Milton on Saturday was was very impressive. And I think that it was nice to finally see that arm talent kind of on display. Is he ready to start, you know, meaningful snaps? If, I, I don't know yet. I still think, I still see a guy who's kind of figuring it out. Um, someone who's still a little bit gangly and, and kind of reminds me to a certain extent of, like, remember that first that first year that Charles Matthews was playing with Michigan basketball guy was just, you know, he was like Bambi on ice skates. He couldn't, he just couldn't land correctly and, and was athletic, but still had some things to tighten up to a certain extent. That kind of reminds me of Milton. Um, now the arm talent is incredible. I mean, that, that throw to Giles Jackson was terrific. It was a howitzer. It was a, a missile. It was a nuclear launch. Um, that has to have you excited. And, you know, it looks like he can run a little bit too. And if it comes down to, you know, I really do think that if it comes down to Dylan McCaffrey versus Joe Milton, you know, for backup snaps this year or, you know, the starting job next year, don't sleep on that guy. Uh, but right now, I know 
people are still kind of down on Shea and waiting for the other shoe to drop there in a big game. Um, I don't think we've seen quite enough from either quarterback backing up Shea Patterson that they should be starting over him, and especially starting over him in a game against Iowa. You need to get this game. You have to win this game this weekend, like period. And right now, I know the upside's there for Joe Milton, but uh, Shea Patterson gives you the best chance to win this game. I'm not sure that Joe Milton's ready for that yet. Whew, okay, uh, I think that's going to do it here. Uh, we got almost a half hour of questions in. I like this. Hopefully we can do this more of this on Mondays moving forward. Um, a lot of good questions in there. Head of this weekend's game in Iowa. Again, Michigan's seven-point favorites. You can follow me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. Follow the website at Maze and Brew on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Like us on Instagram. We're going to start getting that page rolling as well. Hopefully some things to announce on the Twitch front. Uh, be cool to do some stuff on there soon. Working on that. But as far as our podcasts go, you can find our podcast anywhere you get your shows. Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is, wherever you get your content. You can find us at Maze and Brew. Just search Maze and Brew and we're right there. You'll find us. Uh, we're here five days a week. Uh, we'll be back here tomorrow with uh, hearing my voice again uh, with the Brewcast show here with uh, Luke Giardi and Chris Castellani. I know a lot of things to discuss. So uh, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you again soon.